From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While fax machines have been phased out, the drama of National Signing Day remains, as the constant threat of players flipping last minute looms large in a day when the stakes are so high. But what goes on behind the scenes in the war rooms on Signing Day? We can't speak to what every other program does, but on today's show, we'll peel back the curtain on Florida's process by chatting with Katie Turner, the Assistant AD of Recruiting Strategy. Then, FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry joins the roundtable to discuss the state of men's basketball on the eve of SEC play and iconic moments we've witnessed live in the PAT. But first, we managed to track down the incredibly busy Katie Turner and begin by asking how she felt now that the letters were in and the work of early signing day was complete. I feel like I can maybe take a deep breath. (laughs) for a little while it's not going to last for long though because we still have i mean we still have spots available and we still you know are going to try to supplement with the transfer portal and stuff like that so i i'm very excited do not get me wrong like i am so excited it feels like there is a sense of relief and i'm just so glad that we got all of our commits um so that felt really good but yeah there's still a lot to do if that makes sense. Like there's still yeah. a lot to do. So I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm trying to be very excited and happy about all of it, but my work mode, I'm just thinking about like, okay, this is great. But now you have to keep, keep going. Um, right. <laughs> but I am very happy. It I'm never... terrible at living in the moment. No, it's all right. Well, it, it never stops, right? You're, you're in a very forward looking business. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that's part of what makes it interesting, too, is that since the advent of the early signing period, it doesn't mean that it's over. So as you noted, there's still spots available. So now what happens between now and the February signing day, which I guess, I mean, could players commit at any time between now and then? Or does it close and then reopen in February? Well, it's going into a dead period, but all that means is that they can't come on campus. So, I mean, you could still like have communication with them um, and they could still commit to you. So there's that is open technically they just can't come on campus there's dead period we can't go off campus to see them um now there's new legislation that was passed this year where we can have official visits with um transfers between january 4th and january 8th um so that is a new thing this year um so yeah january 4th through 8th that's a transfer window for official visits so even though it's technically a dead period that is an exception this year um so we could potentially have visits um throughout that and then it'll go dead again um like right after january 8th it'll go quiet and then dead again on january 9th um and then it'll reopen i want to say the 12th or 13th um so just a few days there where it'll go dead again. Um, and then all of January is open, mm-hmm. which means they can come to us and do stuff, um, come on campus and everything like that. So last year at this time for January, it was like every weekend was official visits because we were a new staff and we we're, you know, coming from behind. Um, so next year or 
yeah, like this next month. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be more junior days. Like we'll still, I'm expecting maybe we'll have a official. Well, no, I don't know. Maybe we'll have official visit here or there. Um, but it should really be junior days in January, every Saturday. So, which is typically like what you want to get to. Like, that's the goal you want to get to where you have the majority of your class signed in December. Right. You're really just looking for a few more pieces. And then you do want to be able to start like turning the page to the next class. Um, so January should be junior days in all reality. We were behind last year. Hmm. So I'm trying to envision what today is like for you guys on signing day. In my head, I'm thinking a bunch of people are huddled around a fax machine. And it's funny to think of it that way, but I imagine that's not actually what it is. Maybe that is what it is. What, what is the reality of signing day from the war room, the, you know, the spot that you guys are in as this is all taking place? Yeah. So it used to be the fax machine. Now it is a group text. So um, <laughs> it actually it makes things so much simpler. So um, we just have a group chat. Um, well, really, we have like a few different group chats, right? So it's like you tell the coaches, hey, let us know when your prospects have gotten their papers, they sign the papers, take a picture of it. So like in the past, they did have to fax it back. But now um, it's as easy as taking a picture of all the papers and texting it back to the coaches. What happens is we get those and then we have to send them into like our, we create like a national signing day group chat with just kind of people on like the recruiting side and then compliance because everything to like, like everything has to get approved. Like they have to be academic eligible they have to be approved for compliance um before like we can even post them on social media so before they can be released so there is you know a lot of like checkpoints that they have to go through um and a lot of that work is done months leading up to it like that's the point of getting transcripts and that's the point of um all that stuff so a lot of the work is done months leading up to it but it's just kind of like one more last check um checkpoint and then yeah they're official hmm. how much mystery is there on this day for i guess it goes each one's probably different but today for example you know everyone's waiting to see what comes through and as soon as it's posted on social media you know it's official but are there many surprises on your side for the staff or do you guys pretty much know what's going to happen it's just a matter of what time it happens i mean today specifically there weren't any surprises um I think that a good rule of thumb in recruiting is just like, if you don't know if a kid is committing to you, then a kid probably isn't committing to you. Um, I mean, for the most part, like even if they aren't like telling anyone, you still somehow find out that it's you. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't know, he's probably not. So it does kind of take the surprise element out of it. For the most part, you can read between the lines um, a lot of times. So it just depends. But today there weren't really any surprises. But I mean, every year, every recruiting class is different. Every year is different. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's been a good year. I Like I said, I was just, I think that we've done a really good job building this class up throughout the months. Um, I will say that the class themselves, like as a whole, we have a group chat with them, just a few of us in recruiting and then all of our commits. And as we would get a new commit, you know, we'd add them to the group chat. And I mean, it's been the most like active group chat that I've been a part of in years where just like they're, you know, recruiting each other, they're hyping each other up, they're excited. Like, you know, they um, are really bought in and it's been exciting to just witness and like watch and 
um, I'll kind of be reading the text sometimes. So it's just, it's just fun. So I was really, really excited just about the class, um, that we've been able to put together so far. And I think like so many times that, you know, there's people, whatever, they can make their own opinions, but it's like, sometimes I wish they could read the text or see the group chat or just feel the energy. Cause like, I think that so many people are sometimes caught up on who we're not getting. And it's like, right. no, 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 but look at the class that we do have. Like they're great players individually and like collectively they're really bought into the program and each other. And you don't always get that. So it's just been really good energy. And I haven't felt that in a long time. So it's just, it's cool to, to witness. It's interesting too watching coach Napier's press conference and, you know, when you talk about recruiting these days, so much of it is about NIL. It's about which school is offering the most money and a lot of these sort of uh, sorted details that I don't think people want to have part of college sports. Um, but when Coach Napier talks about these players that were signed, he's talking about their families. He's talking about the relationships that you guys have built. So in terms of, you know, the degree to which they are bought in and the degree to which you're confident they are good fits for the program. How important is it to have those types of deep relationships that aren't just, Oh, somebody offered a ton of money through a booster and you know, the stories you hear from other places, how important is it? Do you guys think doing it the way that you do it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's at the core, like it, I think it's at the core of what we do. I mean, that's literally why I have the job that I have and I'm so passionate about it. I think that, in my role, yes, I think that NIL can can become a little frustrating because I think I do put such uh, emphasis on relationships, and I, I maybe it's just I have that um, mindset where I'm like, but I thought we had such good relationships with that, you know, like right. maybe it's me, you know, because that's just the way my brain is wired. But no, I just I really do think it is at the core of what we do, and I think that. Um, there's just something to be said about like, you know, building that relationship, like knowing who they are, knowing their family and being able to understand their story, understand where you want, like where they want to go, how you can help get them there. And um, just like that, they know that we care about them as people beyond just football players. And I think that that is so important for them to understand. And I know that maybe that has been watered down over the last year with NIL um entering into the ncaa but for me i think it's like at the, like i said at the core of what we do i think that you know hopefully they recognize that and they they know that like we really have their backs beyond just the football field or um you know just beyond like external factors is that um we really do care about them and i think that like that is something that i love i love getting to know them i love getting to know their families and yeah, it's just, it's just been a really cool, it's just a really cool process. But I think that there's something to be said for them too. Like if they feel that, you know, you hope that that's going to have them work harder for you or, you know, and I think that that's just coach Napier's approach. That's his leadership style. I've always said this, like he doesn't yell, he doesn't cuss. Um, I've always said that like, if I don't do something like to his standard, I just feel like I've like disappointed, like mm -hmm. a, my dad, like, it's just like, <laughs> it's worse. Like I would almost want, I, I want him to yell at me. Right. And, but he doesn't, you know, it's just almost like a disappointing feeling if I ever like, <laughs> you know, like I said, don't do something to his, stand his standards. So, um, but I think the players feel that too. Like he's just, he's going to love you hard and he's going to coach you hard. And, 
um, who's going to care about you personally. And, you know, I hope that they recognize that and they see like, you know, I'm going to fight for this guy because like, I don't want to disappoint him. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I'm biased, but I definitely think that relationships are at the core of what we want to build here and at uh, the core of our culture. So a lot of the the big players, when it comes down to it in recruiting, it's battles, right? You're going head to head with schools. A lot of times they're your biggest rivals in some cases. Um, the the battles you guys won here today on this signing day, why do you think you won those battles? I mean, do they do they express to you what it ultimately was that put you over the top? Is it is it consistently the same thing? Is it different for each guy? I would say it's the genuine nature of the staff. Like first and foremost, I think a lot of it does go back to the relationships. I think that um, player development is huge. I mean, we have a great coaching staff. Um, and then at the end of the day, like you're at the University of Florida where you can come and we can compete in the SEC. We can compete for a national championship. And I think that our class understands that like they can be the building blocks for that. Um, and they take a lot of pride in that. So, you know, it's going to take time, but they all understand that. Like that's the other really cool part about, about these commits is like, they're excited, they're hungry, they're eager. Like they are literally chomping at the bit to come here um, to help contribute. But, you know, they know, too, that it's not going to be easy, that it is going to be a lot of hard work. So um, it's been cool. They're definitely they're definitely bought in. But, yeah, I would say it's relationships. It's the genuine nature of the staff. It's player development. It's that we will compete at a high level. So it's just all of those factors. Um, Final thing for you. I know the last time we talked, I think you were uh, you were probably about to sleep in your office. I hope you're going to go home and sleep after this. Um, Yeah, but. Sleep notwithstanding, what is next for for your operation, for your team? What happens tomorrow when this when all the dust from this settles? Well, um, let's see. I'm still kind of on edge with because there's a few more announcements coming. And then, um, like I said, the transfer portal is just such it's just like such a new thing. Right. Well, they can they can come through at any time, right? They don't have to wait to till a signing yeah. day. Any time transfers want to come through, they can officially be added. Correct? Yeah, commit. Well, I mean, of course, they still have to go through like the checkpoints and everything like that. Right. As far as you know, being academically eligible, like got to get everything you know checked out there and through compliance. But yes, it's not like they have to wait for a national signing day. Right. Um, just the transfer portal is open um, through January, so. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of on edge. We have announcements. (laughs) We'll be working on transfer portals. Um, I'm going to go home and like try to relax a little bit up in Buffalo, but, um, things are happening in Buffalo. Things are the, let me tell you, the bills are are happening. The bills are happening. This is like the best team I've ever seen in my 28 (laughs) years. I'm so excited. Um, no, so I'm, I'm excited. I think right now, like the team and I, we need a few days to relax and reset and rest and like all go, go away and just take a slight break and then because when we come back we know that we're gonna have to do transfer OBs because that's the thing that's new this year like mm-hmm. we've never had to be back, back this early I mean because it also depends on like your full schedule and all this stuff too so yeah we just you know don't get many breaks so taking a few days to go reset and then after that um transfer portal and then junior days and then back at it really um i don't know we're excited we're gonna just have to start flipping the class to you know class of 2024 was texting with a few of those guys today um you know because this time next year that'll be them so 
yeah, it's just, it's, it's exciting to now have like a year under our belt. So everything will be a little bit easier next year. Um, just cause now I've like seen everything, um, mm-hmm. whether that's a junior day, whether that's a game day, whether that's camps, seven on seven Friday night lights. Um, and then you, you almost have like three different blueprints cause you have your winter, like your December, January OVs. And then you have like your transfer OVs that are like maybe January, maybe April, May is what they were last year. And then you have like your June OVs and then an in-season OV, you know, so it's like, yeah, I'm just excited for year two. <laughs> I can tell I'm so exhausted. It's <laughs> been a long year, <laughs> but the fastest year at the same time, the like longest and fastest, it's been right. a, it's been a well, Katie, congratulations on putting together uh, an outstanding class for the work you and your team have done. Get some rest, then we know you'll be back at it very, very soon. But thank you for your time on this very, very busy and exhausting day. Thank you so much. And then, Adam, could I just like shout out my team? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like an Oscar speech, and I don't have any music. I don't have any music to play you off. So as many oh, names as you want to read. You're so funny. Okay. At this time, I would like to thank, no, but no, seriously, I just, I really do um, love to give them some love because they do amazing. So Bree and Sierra are in on-campus recruiting and I literally could not do my job without them. They make my job so much easier. Um, but, and then our personnel guys crush it. And so that's Jacob and Lamar and Ross, Bird, Joe, Nick, Chase, and then Josh, in operations he has the worst job in the whole building because we, we literally throw like the craziest things his way like we we're like we need to put a 40 foot by 80 foot tent on the field like <laughs> on the field by friday and this was like monday and he was like what wow yeah so anyway he makes things happen so um but yeah thank you for letting me do that little oscar speech but no seriously i just this whole year there's just so many people that make the operation run a blanket thank you to all of those people as blanket well. Blanket thank you to literally everyone. It's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet healthcare destination with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day. All located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. It is time for this week's roundtable. Uh, a little bit smaller of a roundtable, just myself and uh, and Gators Chris here today. Uh, but Chris, I know you, you just got back from the Jumpman Classic, which before we talk about the game and the result, I guess just talk about this event that was put together and, and what an incredible experience it was, not only for the men's programs there, but also for the, the women's programs. Yeah, they did a really nice job uh, with this event, given especially if for like a one day kind of thing, or at least it was a one day thing for two of the, for two of the teams, I guess, four of the teams in the, in the event. Again, it's a, it was a double header, uh, two nights with, uh, men's and women's programs from the, from the four schools for the original Jumpman teams, uh, Florida, Oklahoma, Michigan, and North Carolina. And it was downtown, um, in the, uh, they had an event the night before the first game where they had all the teams there, Carmelo Anthony was a keynote speaker. He was one, he was the first uh, NBA player to wear Jumpman um, stuff. Uh, so he was he was kind of like the guy that they did this scavenger hunt uh, with te- with teams. Uh, they signed players to these K 
kids and stuff and they did this thing and it, it wasn't like this quick thing this it, they're running around in the convention center and stuff and uh they had a they had a rapper there now adam um a little bit little bit out of my genre can't it is. really tell you who the, who this rapper was i didn't attend the event either <laughs> um but uh, uh, it, it was for the younger crowd okay did did you um, least get a name do you have a name you can I, share with us i, I don't know how sure i can pronounce his name actually that's probably not a good um, uh, sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, w- one of the things I did attend uh, within an hour after we got there, they t- they had a, a, a number of players up and doing these kind of videos, these trick videos kind of thing, and and it it was pretty cool. And I, I t- actually talked to Jay Billis at the shoot around yesterday, and he really liked how I use the word trick again, how they tricked out the the court i don't know if you you guys saw the court on 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 tv though it was like this white uh really slick with the Jumpman logo on the front it was really it's a it's a first class event and i think um it's 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 great for the it's great for the gators to be involved in that to be tied to that uh brand and an, an event like this and um an event that is going to be annual now that was the inaugural one they'll do it again next year florida will play either either michigan or north carolina next year um, they played Oklahoma on Tuesday, and we've talked about the good part of, of, of what happened to that event. I imagine you're going to ask me about the, what happened in the actual game. Yeah, although you know, for most of the first half, it, it was looking good for Florida. Um, but ultimately, it seemed like, again, this is not a – it's not really a secret. It's a recurring theme we visited in recent years, which is inability to make shots, especially from three. That number at the end of the day just proved uh, seemingly to be insurmountable. Well, two for 22 is not a number you want to see a lot. And um, neither is four of 24. And that's what Florida shot at Oklahoma against them last year. So, uh, you know, you're talking about, you know, two games and two, what is that? Was that six for 46? Um, you're not wow. going to, and, 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 and last year's was a seven point game. So, I mean, they're in these games and they're shooting themselves out of them. Uh, and, and I mean, the second half was dreadful. It was, they were, they were 0 for 9 for 3, whereas I believe Oklahoma was 5 for 11. They had one guy who made 3, the, uh, the, the, spear, the, the, uh, the Grant, Grant Sherfield, really, really, really highly efficient offensive player, one of the most highly efficient offensive players in the country. He came into the game shooting almost 47% from the field and 55% from three-point range and improved on his three-point numbers. Wow. And and by going five for six from the free throw, and he actually went down in his free throw percentage. I think he was 87% going into the game. He killed them, 22 points. Uh, Colin Castleton was really pretty, really the most effective Florida player by far, 22 points. You know, he was able to do some stuff, get to his spots inside. But um, when you when your perimeter guys, I mean, I'm just, I got the box score here, Adam. I mean, Alex Fudge, who had two, Double doubles in in his last four games since entered the starting lineup. He's zero for four from the floor. Six rebounds, didn't score. Um, uh, Will Richard, who a couple weeks ago was at fifty six percent in overall and in three point shooting, and has really taken a step back the last couple weeks as he tries to bounce back from this uh, from a knee injury that kind of that he came back with from Portland. And he was he was three for eleven. He goes zero for five from the three point line. Kyle Lofton, who looked pretty damn good. In the win in Tampa, um, neutral site win in Tampa a week earlier against Ohio U, kind of got his legs under him. His back injury had kind of subsided. He was 
feeling much better. Their offense was, you know, running much better with him uh, as the chief playmaker. He goes one for eight from the floor, misses both his threes. Myron Jones over two. Koisi Reeves uh, two for eight from the floor. I mean, it, you, know, you just you just got to have some productivity on the perimeter. And uh, the upshot of the Gators exit the 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 preseason uh, <laughs> seven and five. And that's not a record they're, they're used to having heading into conference play, which starts next week at Auburn, the defending champion. And the and the schedule's brutal now, man. I mean, uh, you know, the SEC is probably one of the top three leagues in the country. The mixed blessing in all this is that, you know, they're, they're going to get chances to write these analytical numbers, uh, the, met, the kind of metrics that, that you know, that, de- that determine postseason play. But uh, – Right now, they've played five quadrant one opponents um, uh, through 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 twelve preseason games, and they've lost all five of them. So you got to beat somebody eventually. They're gonna they're gonna have plenty of opportunities going forward to to actually beat some decent teams, some very some great teams in the SEC. They're gonna have a road game at Kansas State. Kansas State's gonna be probably a quad one opportunity. But um, I, I did some crunch, number crunching on the plane on the way home uh, early Wednesday morning. In in the four losses to those high major teams, uh, Xavier, uh, West Virginia, UConn, and Oklahoma, a Florida shooting 21, 21% from the three-point line. Um, that's not going to work. It that, that actually would have been good uh, in the Oklahoma game, in the Oklahoma game, rather than 9%. But uh, whatever the case is, when the Gators get back from Christmas, they're – they're going to have to get in the gym and just figure out a way to make shots because they're a better shooting team than this. And Colin Castleton can't put the whole team on his shoulders. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems to be essentially what we're looking at now through the the pre-SEC is you know what you have in Colin Castleton, but outside of that, a lot of question marks and I guess a lot of questions about identity. So as they get back in the gym after this break, what is the identity you think they need to forge? What can they make out of the pieces they have to be more effective than what they've been? I mean, we had these conversations uh, last year when uh, you know Florida was the the worst three point shooting team in program history. I think thirty one point three percent. I mean, uh, I, I go back and read my story that I wrote after after the Oklahoma game, which looks a lot similar to the one I wrote about the UConn game because Todd Gold sat up there on the post game podium and said, you know. We did this well. We did this well. We did this, but if you're going to beat a team as as good as blank, fill them in. You got to make shots, and uh, you know if right now the identity is is a team that that beats a low major competition and can't make shots against high major competition, and that's not an identity you want to have when you're about to start a, a schedule that includes Auburn, Kentucky twice. You're playing Alabama. You're playing Tennessee. I could go on and on. Um, First initial part of the of the SEC schedule, Adam, isn't like loaded with the better SEC teams. They they come a little bit later on the schedule. Um, but if you shoot like that, it it, it doesn't matter what team you're playing. Um, so uh, uh, the, they they need to fix this somehow. Um, I don't know if it's sheer confidence. I mean, some of these shots are are open shots. They're not like you know, there, yeah, are there some late shot clocks? Of course, this is basketball. Teams play defense and you're forced into that sometimes, but um, it just has to be better. And the only way you can get better is, 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 is to work on that, work on that shooting and somehow um, get some confidence going because right, right now this, that they didn't look like a confident team when you're at the point where you're hoping shots go in 
so you can cut a four point lead to two. Um, that's what's, that's just kind of the sense that I got sitting on sitting at center court last night, watching this go up and down after Oklahoma started to take the game over. I want to turn our attention now to the PAT. Uh, and I saw this morning when we recorded this that Franco Harris died. And obviously, the only reason I know Franco Harris and probably most people of a certain age around me, give or take a few years up and down, is because of the Immaculate Reception, one of the most famous plays, not just in the history of the NFL, but arguably the history of sports that uh, he was the author of. Uh, and so it got me thinking about the best, most impressive plays that we've seen live. Surely we've all seen a bunch of things on TV over the years, but I wanted to know what stands out from your memory, plays that made your eyes pop out of your head in person. Well, mine is, I don't even have to think about it because um, uh, I was standing on the goal line when Doug Flutie threw his pass. Were you really? And that was that was in the Orange Bowl the day wow. after Thanksgiving, obviously in you know uh, 1984. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, a, a tremendous game uh, playing, playing playing the Hurricanes with just, I mean, you're talking about the, a Miami team that was, you know, Bernie Kosar and, and Jerome Brown and some just Dan, some, some tremendous players on that football team uh, during the during the Miami heyday. And there's Doug, Doug Flutie. You know, he probably wins the Heisman Trophy anyway because he had a good game before that. Um, but that 48-yard touchdown pass to Gerard Phelan, I'd made my way down. Back then, you could go down to the to the field uh, and watch the end of the game. That way, you'd be down there in place for post-game kind of interviews. And uh, I was indeed standing on the goal line. And if uh, you slow down the play, and you see it just about you know every year, they show that play at some point. There's a, a, a 25-year-old, fairly new reporter uh, in, a, in a silver members-only jacket, probably with the sleeves rolled up for all I know. Nice. Um, st- standing there watching that play as as time expires. And it's funny because it wasn't like a packed Orange Bowl that day. It was a gloomy kind of a day in South Florida. But, it, I mean, it, it was 47-45 shootout. Both Kosar and Flutie threw for over 400 yards. Uh, Melvin Bratton, a running back for the for Miami, a freshman. I think he had 156 yards and four touchdowns rushing. Just it was just this just this epic back and forth affair, and that that, that was a good that was a really good uh, uh, Boston College team, obviously. Um, but uh, so afterwards, uh, the the reporters are all jammed up uh, in front, waiting to get into the BC locker room, and I was actually right up in front. Uh, after Jack Bicknell did his, the coach did his little thing out in the uh, out out in the uh, outside the locker room, and we're all waiting for Flutie outside outside the locker room. And all of a sudden, I'm leaning up against the door. The door opens up, and I peek around, and I'm in Doug Doug Flutie sticks his head out, and I'm looking at him. And he goes, "Are they ready for me yet?" I go, "Yes, they are ready for you." <laughs> I just happened to be I'm the ready one. for you. <laughs> 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 yeah, it would have been cool. Hey, can I just get you like for yeah. one minute real quick by myself? Yeah. I was thinking about the Gator answer to it, and I think I know what your answer would be. The best thing I can come up with that I've seen live would be two things, one of which would be the Jarvis Moss block against South Carolina. But that wasn't that spectacular. That was just a block kick. Block kicks happen all the time. Nothing about that particular play was noteworthy outside of what it meant at the time. Uh, and then I was at the game, one of the Chandler Parsons buzzer beaters to beat South mm. Carolina in the O-Dome, which is slightly more spectacular. Um, not as meaningful, obviously, 
But when I was thinking about those from a Gator perspective, those are, are tougher to come by because I don't know that there are as many iconic special plays in history that are meaningful because of the way they went down as opposed to the end result. Yeah, because I, I mean, you know, you can say the Felipe Franks play or something, but I mean, that, that Florida team wasn't very good and that Tennessee team wasn't very good. Um Obviously, the Chris Chioza play. That was uh, what I would out. guess. I guess that was what you would say. But to me, the, the greatest play at the moment of everything that I, that I witnessed, and again, I was on the field because we went down to the end of the game, was, and it didn't end in a score, but it obviously changed everything. It was the, it was the Doug Johnson to Jocko's Green uh, uh, reception. So I tell people to this day that that was the loudest I've ever heard the swamp. And it was, uh, it was before the expansion of the swamp. Um, and it was like I was standing under the goalpost in the north end zone, and so the play was going away from me. But I saw it all like developing. It it sounded like a jet airplane had landed uh, it on the fifty yard line. That's how that I mean, that that to me. And and you just got this sense that whoa, because because that, that Florida team you know didn't have a whole lot going for it. It wasn't supposed to be a, a <laughs> that game wasn't supposed to be a competitive game because to that point they they had, were having trouble throwing forward passes. Uh, completing forward passes. And then they go two quarterbacks. The number one defense in the country was FSU, up and down the field, another one of those classic games. And I think there'll be a lot of uh, Gator fans who would say uh, that was as as, as great a game um, beginning to end that they've probably ever seen in the Swamp. So we've just gone over like five or six things, haven't we? Yeah, a lot of them. Cover, cover yeah. a nice amount of ground in, in lieu of, uh, of yeah. our, our unavailable colleagues here today. Um but yeah, did cover a lot of ground. Lots of uh, lots of good memories there for sure. And I, I had no idea that you were on the field uh, for the the Flutie Hail Marys. That's a that's a cool feather to, to put in your your reporter hat. Okay, uh, yeah, I'll go one more. That by the way, Adam, as someone who grew up in the North and not a college football fanatic, that was the first college football game I ever attended live. Wow! And I was, so I left going, man, this is yeah. are they all like this? That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. This is good. Let, let's do this. Let's do this every week. This is great. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, there are, uh, there are no games to report on in the next week, which, you know, you'll be happy to take that break. The teams will take a break. Uh, but before you know it, SEC play will be up and running at the end of the month. So we encourage fans to make sure to follow Gators Chris on Twitter for all the latest on men's basketball as they move into uh, the meat of their schedule. Chris, thank you so much. Have a great holiday. Happy holidays to you, Adam. Take care. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.